feisty, fearless, and fair, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. Tonight on the Rita Cosby Show, I hope all of you had a great Easter and a blessed Passover. And what a sad, though, day this was in Louisville, Kentucky. And tonight, all of us have to count our lucky stars that there are great heroic police officers who run toward the danger. I think about so much in the case of this horrible shooting that took place in Louisville at a bank, 8.30 in the morning. The bank is just about to open, and suddenly this guy who is about to be fired, a 23-year-old guy who was streaming everything on Instagram, apparently left notes for family and friends saying he was going to basically shoot up the bank, comes in uh, with a long rifle and opens fire on everybody inside the bank, again, at opening hour. And today, my thoughts and prayers, of course, are with everybody that was in the bank, family members, friends, and especially this incredibly heroic police officer, Nicholas Wilt, 26 years old. He was just sworn in just recently. He just graduated from the police academy on March 31st. Think about this. He was only on the job, what, like a week and a half? I mean, this is an unbelievable amount of time. He literally just graduated from the police academy. And when the bullets were flying and you could hear the gunfire in every different direction and he knew where the gunman was, he and the other officer charged toward the gunman. To me, it is an incredible feat and an incredible sign of heroism. And all of us today need to be thankful for our men and women in blue. Of course, we are praying for this young officer, this 26-year-old Nicholas Wilt with the Louisville Metro Police Department. We pray he's going to get through this. He got shot in the head, and he is in critical condition The other officer had other injuries, but not as severe. But this is why you count your blessings, that there are men and women that are out there defending us. And instead of running away from the gunfire, they are running towards it. Think about this young rookie cop, again, who had only been on the job about a week and a half. And he knew enough that he had to save these people, that he was there at this moment that he never imagined he would be at. You go through training for this, but you just never expect it's really going to happen. And yet, here it is, only about a week and a half, and he runs towards a gunman that is opening fire in his direction and on everybody in the bank. And to me... This guy is such an unbelievable hero. Our cops are such unbelievable heroes. And this is really, I think, the message to everybody of how lucky we are to have the guts and the heroes that are police officers every single day. You know, I hate when I see these people who are bashing the police. They talk about defunding the police. They talk about doing all these things. And yet, here is a cop, a young cop, 
who just graduated, who was just sworn in, and he knew instinctively that what he needed to do was charge and take out the gunman. Think about the courage of this young man. Can you imagine a guy opening fire with an assault rifle and you are charging towards him and he still has many more rounds in his gun? That is an unbelievable act of heroism, an unbelievable act of perseverance and of selflessness. And to me, epitomizes what our police officers are all about. And so today... We are, of course, praying for this young officer in Louisville that he pulls through. He had emergency surgery, again, in critical condition. We pray that he will make it. We pray that he continues to always be a role model to cops everywhere because this is an extraordinary feat. It shows training well done. It shows great parenting. It shows great police work. Um, And also, it just shows that police officers are really the best among us, and they do not get enough thanks for the kind of job that they do. I don't know how much they make in Louisville, but I bet you it is nowhere near enough money to pay for the kind of job that they do every single day. And boy, uh, on this day, it turned out to be an unbelievable act of heroism. Again, getting shot one time in the head and in serious, very, very serious critical condition. What are your thoughts tonight as you hear the story of this young cop who had the guts of steel and knew enough to take out the gunman? Thank goodness the gunman was taken out. And if they had not responded as quick as they did, the cops, who knows how many people would have lost their lives? Four people were killed. We know that nine people were injured. But can you imagine how much worse it could have been? Because apparently the Louisville police responded within three minutes. That is an unbelievable amount of time in terms of record fast time to respond to a shooting of an active shooting. From getting the call to being on the scene, three minutes. That is nothing. That is an extraordinary feat. And they knew that they had to run towards the gunfire. And again, this young cop, this incredibly heroic 26-year-old Nicholas Wilt really is a true American hero. And tonight we're also learning so much more about the gunman. This guy is 23-year-old Connor Sturgeon. Apparently he knew he was about to be fired by the bank. He had been in an internship there for quite some time. And he apparently was very disappointed that he was about to be fired. He left messages for family members and friends saying that he was going to shoot at the bank. And apparently there was in a group chat where he said, I could burn the whole place down. There's no criminal history with this guy. It sounds like he just kind of snapped. But he did have some issues and there were some apparently warning signs. Apparently he did have some mental issues. He talked about it on social media. He did have low self-esteem. He also had a whole bunch of concussions, apparently, when he was playing football, so much so that when he was playing basketball in later years, they said he was playing basketball wearing a helmet, which is actually very unusual because he had suffered all these different concussions when he was playing football years earlier. And clearly this was a mentally deranged guy. He was live streaming the whole thing on Instagram. Can you imagine? So law enforcement and others were able to watch this on Instagram and hear him making some of these comments and doing some of these things. He also said 
that they won't know what's coming to them. They won't listen to me. They are not going to listen. They're not going to listen to words or protests. So let's see if they hear this. That was one of the final things that he said. And then he walked into the bank and was killed by police after a shootout with authorities, thanks to the great, great work of Nicholas Wilt and the other cop that today, thank goodness, is going to be okay. You know, we hear these stories, and it's just so emotional, and it's so raw because we think about what happened in Nashville. That was only, got a little over a week ago, that school shooting that happened in Nashville where those young kids were killed, and now this. Why are we seeing more and more of these cases And clearly, there were some warning signs. He definitely had some mental issues. So far, we know there was no criminal history, but it sounds like there were definitely some psychological history. And I'm be curious to find out what else was in his background. How did he get the gun? I don't know yet. We'll try to find out. Was that his gun? Was it somebody else's gun? Again, uh, there's reports in one place he's 23 and one place he's 25. Either way, he's old enough to have a gun legally. And regardless... Um, The question is, did he buy it? Um, Clearly, he didn't have any criminal history that would have prohibited it. But you wonder what kind of mental issues was he having? Apparently, he was pretty vocal about some of the mental issues he had. So is it so vocal that maybe the family knew and also knew that he had a gun or did they not know that he had a gun? Still so many unanswered questions. But tonight, Louisville is grieving and the whole country is grieving. Take a listen. Here is the Louisville police chief talking about that amazing, fast response time from the Louisville police. Take a listen. Officers were on scene within three minutes. The suspect shot at officers. We then returned fire and stopped that threat. The suspect is deceased. This is the only time that I will mention the suspect name in this case. The suspect has been identified as Connor Sturgeon, white male, 23 years of age, who was employed at O National Bank. His weapon of choice was a rifle. And we also are hearing more again about that heroic police officer, Louisville Metropolitan Police Department cop Nicholas Wilt, 26 years old, who ran towards the gunfire inside the old National Bank. Now, by the way, when this was going on, all the other different, you know, customers and bank officers, all the people in the bank, some of them ran into the men's room. There are reports that five or six of them were running into the men's room, hiding in there. That one was hiding in a safe. Apparently a wife or one of the employees was was hiding in a safe. I mean, there are all these stories of just whatever they could do to just keep themselves safe. We know that officers were shouting, get off the street, get off the street, trying to clear the street because this was in downtown Louisville. I've been down there. It's a pretty busy place. Um, And so can you imagine just what a scene of despair and horror? And for this young cop, again, this 26-year-old cop who is now fighting for his life tonight, uh, the Louisville police chief described a little bit about what happened to him. Take a listen. The officer who is in critical condition today, Officer Nicholas Wilt, 26 years of age, just graduated from the police academy on March 31st. I just swore him in and his family was there to witness his journey to become a police officer. He was struck in the head 
engaged in this incident. Nick has come out of brain surgery and is in critical but stable condition as we speak. And the police chief said, I just swore him in only a few days ago. Can you imagine this? Literally swore him in as a cop a few days ago. And then this guy had the guts of steel to run towards the gunfire and play a huge role in taking out the gunman who clearly would have killed many more people if it wasn't for the guts of this officer and the other officer who took him down. What are your thoughts tonight, especially about the importance of police? And when we hear all these other people around the country saying, oh, defund the police or in Chicago, where they want to replace police with social workers, what are you going to do? Send a social worker to a shootout at a bank? Are you kidding me? How many police officers also do you think have the same guts as this young rookie cop? Talk about greener than green. Had only been on the job uh, a week and a half. It was his second week on the job. That is astounding. And the officer said, the chief, I just remember swearing him in just a few days ago. I remember him. Can you imagine seeing this guy and saying, boy, this was a guy just asked him to take the oath. And he turns out to be one of the greatest heroes ever. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And we'll take your calls when we come back. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. Of course, President Biden put out a statement talking about the shooting in Louisville, the second mass shooting, gosh, in about two weeks. And, of course, he talked about gun control. Nothing really about the mental condition of the shooters and the criminal history often of the shooters and the warning signs of the shooter. In this case, it doesn't look like there was any criminal history Uh, But clearly there were some mental problems, and I bet we will find out a lot more. Uh, And by the way, Kentucky Governor Brashear was so emotional because he knew some people in the bank today. Take a listen uh, when he talked about the terrible shooting at the Louisville Bank this morning. This is awful. I have a very close friend that didn't make it today. And I have another close friend who didn't either, and one who's at the hospital that I hope is going to make it through. So when we talk about praying, I hope people will. For those that we are hoping can make it through, the surgeries that they're going through, then we've got to do what we have done these last three years after everything. We've got to wrap our arms around these families. And to everybody who needs it, don't be afraid to get some help. Yeah, don't be afraid to get help. Obviously, those who went through this, and by the way, if there are warning signs of someone who has mental issues prior to this, and I'm talking about the shooter, families need to step up too, because I bet we're going to find out a lot more in this shooter's background. And again, he was sounds like he was telegraphing at least this moment all over the place, uh, putting it on Instagram Live. Uh, Also, messages left for family members and friends. We don't know if he said anything prior to this. He clearly said something right before the shooting, but we don't know. Was he saying it for weeks or did he just say it right before the shooting? And he also apparently left notes indicating that and some stuff on social media. Who are these people in these chat rooms? So I hope they called the police 
if somebody's in a chat room and you see somebody suddenly say, I'm going to go uh, take care of my bank, uh, don't you think you need to call 911? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Larry. Line six. Larry, your thoughts. Okay. Hi, Rita. I'm going to pose to you a question, okay? And then if you can't answer it, I'm going to take a shot at it, okay? Sure. How's, how's that? Okay. Uh, in 19... 19- uh, uh, the George Bush, the first George Bush, there was an assault rifle ban that lasted for a few years. Uh, the question is, the NRA was, was presumably just as strong uh, then as they are now. Why should we not be able to get a ban now, but we could get one then when there weren't even any shootings then, really? No, that's a great point. I mean, part of the reason is, sadly, the numbers didn't really have that much of an impact when they did the ban. I mean, that that is, you know, the reality, which is why, Larry, you know, when I talk about what we need to do, I think there's a lot of things. I don't think we should exclude anything. But I think when I when I hear Democrats, everything is going after guns. They never talk about the criminals who are pulling the trigger. Um, And that's why they kind of keep going back to that. And because there was a ban in place. Um, for some time. If you look at the numbers, the numbers didn't really change. Most people will say it did not have that much of an impact. And, you know, the other thing I go back to also, Larry, the Democrats, they had time. There were two years, as we know, there was quite some time where Biden had time to actually, you know, with a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, um, he could have very well said, you know, now's the time to pass an assault weapons ban. And he didn't. And he didn't which is why I think a lot of what they're saying is for politics. A lot of it is just for posturing. And I think, you know, the problem is they're so dug in. And then you see some people on the other side who are dug in with not even talking about that or not even talking about certain other issues. For the most part, I think we all need to come to the table and see what works, what hasn't worked in the past. And I think so much of the Democratic spin is all go after the guns, go after the guns. They don't want to talk about repeat offenders. They don't want to talk about the mental history. They don't want to talk about parents reporting earlier if somebody has a mental problem. They don't want to talk about a lot of these things. And how are you going to address the problem if you don't even want to go to the root of the problem? They seem to just play politics. And speaking of politics, Kamala Harris goes all the way down to Nashville for an emergency meeting with these two legislators that we know were kicked out. One of them has now been reinstated. Um, And they were kicked out because they're on the bullhorn shouting on the legislative floor. And what does she do? She didn't meet with the shoot with the victims of the shooting in Nashville. She goes all the way down there, calls an emergency meeting, basically, and meets with these legislators, these two African-American legislators, because she sees about using it for political gain, but doesn't meet with the victims of the shooting. So who's playing politics here, Larry? Who's playing politics? We're going to continue with your calls. After the break. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue. And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, which we love doing every night here on the Rita Cosby Show, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with the two Louisville officers, one of them who is fighting for his life tonight the rookie officer that charged and helped take out the gunman at the Louisville Bank. 
also a very powerful story coming from Marion County, Texas. The Marion County Sheriff's Office says a missing Longview woman was rescued from a submerged Jeep on Friday at Land o the Pine, at Lake o the Pines and was taken to a hospital. Now, a fisherman called dispatch to say that he was on the south side of the lake and he saw a black Jeep submerged about 45 feet from the boat ramp. So deputies arrived on the scene as well as a local wrecker service. Now, incredibly, as the Jeep was being prepared for removal from the water, it was discovered that a woman was still inside the vehicle and still moving. The deputies immediately addressed the discovery, and with the assistance of the wrecker service and a fisherman on the scene, the Marion County deputies were able to rescue the woman from the submerged Jeep. The EMS responded to the location and transported the woman to a local hospital. She was listed as someone who had been missing in Longview, Texas. What an amazing story. Uh, And it's unclear how long she had been in that Jeep. Uh, But boy, what a scary situation. And thank goodness the fishermen actually called and reported the Jeep submerged there. And officers arrived quickly on the scene and saved her. Well, of course, we are talking about that hero cop who took out the gunman, he and the other, who went right toward a hail of bullets. And one of the officers, as we know, is fighting for his life tonight. We're talking about the Louisville Bank shooting. And this is bank employees describing what they saw this morning. Can you imagine what a frightening scene? Click, and the lady next to me turned around and said, what the hell? And then he just started shooting. Describe that again, everything that you saw. He just started shooting. Uh, he had a long assault rifle, and he just started, you hear the, fart, the, the, the shots just start firing. What did he look like? I didn't see his face. Were you in a meeting? Yeah, we were in the conference, back conference room. Whoever's next to me we got shot and hit bloods on me from it. Yeah, I was in the elevator. I just walked right past the conference room where everyone was. And then I came down and I had to grab something. And then on my way back up to the elevator, I just hear this loud. I thought there was like something like dropping because they were doing some construction or some renovations in there. And and yeah, I got up there and the guy was like, run, there's a shooter. And I was like, oh. Yeah. What just, floor was this on? It was on the first floor in the back in the conference room area. Kind of, uh, you can see there the middle um, windows right there. So like three over in the middle, we're all in there. And what, who do you work for? What company was Old this? National Bank. Say your names, please. Uh, Troy Haste. My name is Dalen Riggs. I also work at Old National Bank. Wow. Can you imagine what that was like at the scene? And by the way, tonight, uh, earlier it was listed as four people had died. A fifth person has died this evening. 57-year-old Deanna Eckhart also died. What a sad, sad situation. So now... Five people dead. Um, Also, the shooter taken out by the officers, thank goodness. And again, nine people injured, including that officer who was in critical condition and had brain surgery today. Here is the Louisville mayor talking about the heroism of the officers. Again, it took him three minutes to respond, and this rookie cop did not hesitate to charge. As the chief mentioned, our LMPD officers went into that building knowing that they were risking their their lives to save other lives. And that's exactly They exchanged gunfire with the shooter. To Officer Wilt and his family, continue to pray and support you. To the other two LMPD officers who were injured, thank you 
and all of your colleagues for your service today and every day. And that was, again, the Louisville Mayor, Craig Greenberg. Your thoughts about why this is happening more often, how important it is to support our police. And thank goodness this young cop had the guts to charge. I hate when I hear these people who are anti-police or slamming the police at every single turn. And again, some of these places, like in Chicago, the new mayor has talked about, hey, instead of police... Let's maybe have social workers. Right. Can you imagine sending a social worker to a scene like this? 1-800-848-9222. And you're listening to The Rita Cosby Show. Let's go to Kurt on Line 7. Kurt, your thoughts about this. Hi, Rita. First, I, I, I want to say this, all right? I... When you when you said this, this, this person was 23 years old that shot the police... Shot the cop. I already. I spent 23 years of my life in jails and prisons. I was guilty, but you know what? I never ever learned to hate the cops. I'm happy to hear that. Now, let me ask you, Kurt. What did you spend the 23 years for? Well, it, it was it was different times. I was I was I was I was addicted to cocaine, and I, I would I would I would go out and commit burglaries. I'm not proud of it, you know. But this that that was my life. I'm 64 years old now. I don't do that anymore, you know. But, but I don't I don't hate cops. I, as a matter of fact. Where I live, I know many of the cops. They come and they they know me by the first name basis. Hey, Kirk, what's up? Why is there so many people who have a different view of it? And, Kurt, by the way, I am glad that, obviously, you have turned your life around, um, and that's fantastic, you know, um, and, and drug addiction is a very serious, difficult thing to overcome. So I, I, that kudos to you. Um, why, why do you think there's others that feel that way? I still like my beer, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't want to give that up. <laughs> Good beer is hard to find. But, uh, but Kurt, I do want to ask you, why do you think – that um, that there are so many people who instantly go to this defund the police line or we can have somebody else instead of police. Like I, I brought up, you know, the new Chicago mayor proposed sending social workers. And there's other people around the country who've, who've said the same thing. But why defund the police? I don't understand that. One day you may need the police. Absolutely. You know, Kurt, you hit it exactly on the head. Thank you for the call. And and by the way, thank you for your honesty and your candor, too. Really powerful to hear from you tonight. You're absolutely right, because guess what? Uh, clearly, uh, they have not needed the police at that moment, because that's what happened in Milwaukee. Remember, it was in it was in Milwaukee and it was also in Minneapolis in particular, I think about also right after all the riots and everything. They disbanded the police. And then one of the city council members, I think it was like a couple weeks later, needed the police. Suddenly they realized, well, hey, maybe we should have the police after all. Sometimes it's like until you need them, you don't realize how bad you need them. And Kurt, bravo to you and and, and just your beautiful candor here today with us on the show. I really appreciate it. Let's go to Norm. Norm, your thoughts about all this. Yeah. Hi, Rita. First of all, my uh, thoughts and prayers are with Officer Wilkes for his recovery. Yeah, um, by the way, no doubt. I, I mean, I can't imagine how yeah. beautiful is this this cop that within a only a week and a half of mm-hmm. training 
that he knew enough to charge and he had to take out the gunman. He was in a position and he knew he had to go for it, that more lives would have been lost. I mean, I think about whoever trained him deserves a medal, too, you know? Well, that's what that's what our police do. And that's why we have to give thanks to every cop you see. And God bless them all. Um, look, I, I, I'm going to deal with solutions. What I don't understand is how come this bank did not have armed security? I can assure you in a bank in Manhattan, uh, Chase or something like that, I can assure you there is armed security there. I remember back watching uh, old episodes of the Andy Griffith show that when they had something about a bank, they had an, an old guy who had a gun on him. And I, I just I, I don't understand why in 2023 uh, in any place which is a high stress area where there's money, why how come they don't have an armed security guard? Uh, we have in New York City, we have armed security guards in our schools. I mean, the cops do pretty much all the high schools here. And uh, I just I don't get it. You know, I don't get it. You know, I mean, they can look for all their assault weapon bans and the gun control and yada, 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 all that stuff. That's not going to stop stop 350 million guns that are in our population here. Uh, Many, many of them are unaccounted for Um, any sort of bans. I I just don't you know, I I, I don't get it, Uh, you know, and the very same people who care about these things like assault weapon bans, what they should be thinking about is that there were 245,000 M4 machine guns that were abandoned in Afghanistan. And with our open border, uh, you just know it, that they're going to be on our streets. So, you know, they can talk about their bans all they want. Uh, Real-life solutions are security uh, in our schools. Um, I mean, I happen to believe in some kind of a a martial system, the same as we have on we have on our airplanes and certainly things like government buildings, which all our government buildings have armed security. When you get when you go in, like if you go into the Department of Health, you got to put all your stuff down on a on like an airplane type X-ray machine. Almost all our, uh, you know, government buildings, everything has armed security and banks are, you know, meeting places with people with money. And if there would have been an armed security guard at the door, he would have seen somebody come through the door with a 32 inch weapon, which is what these, you know, right. It was a rifle. It would, you know, it's not concealed because it's a big thing. And uh, he would have shot him. I mean, these things don't happen in Israel. I mean, Israel, they have, you know, it's well, not and, so and Norm, what about schools, too? You know, I think about in the well, recent exactly. case with no, schools. Exactly. We need, I mean, they we need don't to do something. Right. They don't have these things in Europe. As, you know, they don't have these things and they have guns. People have guns in Europe. They don't have these things. Uh, you know, w- we need security if they would be a security. I- I'm sure my local bank here here in Canarsie, I bet you there's somebody there with a gun. I, I you know, I, uh, there should be somebody at the door. Armed security sees anybody weird coming in, carrying a rifle. You, you know, you shoot them. Well, and also, and also, Norm, too, I think about also the shooting at the school um, in Nashville that the shooter apparently was planning to go to another school. But then there was more security at that school. So guess what? They went to the weaker one, the softer target, um, the one that didn't have a security. And remember, open fire on the door. And that's how they got through the door. The door was indeed locked, but it was a glass door. And they fired, you know, blasted out the glass and walked through the glass. Uh, you see it all on the videotape when the shooter did that. Um, but you wonder, because the other one had more visible security, this one really had didn't have any armed security per se. And you're right. Um, sadly, maybe we're at a place where we just need to have visible security at all these locations 
Um, and listen, I, I'm the, the idea of a bank obviously is horrible. Uh, but what's more precious than our little kids? What's more precious than anybody's life? Um, you know, this guy clearly was going in loaded for bear and people in a bank deserve to be safe. Kids in a school need to be safe. We all need to be safe. And so we got to think about it on so many levels. And I think sometimes Democratic politicians, it's such a cheap sort of reaction to say, yeah, we're just going to ban guns and then let's just kind of move on. Um, it's like a talking point as opposed to really sitting back and saying what can be really done um, as opposed to just throwing it out there for political points. That's not this is not a time for politics. We should all come together to protect our kids. That is the most important thing. Um, let's go to John in Texas, line eight. Um, John, your thoughts about all this? Well, I have two points. The first one's quick. Uh, for all the you know the people that would like to see guns disappear, you know, I remind you that uh, guns they're not going to be turned in by the criminals. We've already heard that uh, you know story from uh, those of us who obey the law. But keep in mind, guns last. Less than a year ago, I was watching a good buddy of mine shoot his 17th century musket. So even if all the guns were handed in, except less those from the uh, criminals, those guns, even if they sat around a, a, a damp barn, will be shootable a century from now. So I don't know how much big of a difference taking up all the guns is going to make. But my main point is, um, you know, when my dad was in school in the 50s, they had a rifle club. And on Fridays, the boys, not all of them, a lot of them would bring their rifles to school. They would keep them in the teacher's lounge or the equivalent of a teacher's lounge back then. And then after class, they would walk a quarter of a mile, some road bikes, and they would do their little uh, target practice. Now, I'm a Gen Xer. When I was in school, now granted this is Texas, but when I was in school in the 80s, those of us seniors who were 18 uh, carried usually a rifle in the gun rack of our trucks. And we parked, you know, on high school grounds. And somehow we made it all the way uh, uh, through our, our our school with no issues. Well, that's that's yeah. why, John, I think there is more to it. And I think you're hitting something really powerful here because there is some reason why there are more and more of these cases that we're seeing. And a lot of it goes back, I agree, to also some of the mental issues Maybe some of it's social media. This guy was also streaming it on social media. That doesn't help. Um, you know, what, what, do you, what do you think is the reason, real quick? What is your thoughts? Why, why are we seeing more of these incidents now, um, especially with people that have some psychological issues, clearly, but even some warning signs prior to this? I think it's I think it's based on the the general breakdown of the family. And, and we don't even have to get political with this because we know – you know, children from divorced families, not always, but often have issues. And that's just a small example. Now, there are other things out there. There's the increase of dependence on uh, mind-altering substances, both legal and illegal. And, you know, who's to monitor this when a kid gets on or off these things? And and what's the true intention for maybe even getting them on? So I, I is a big as a Second Amendment person. In fact, I just ordered a, a, a firearm today to be legally delivered to my gunsmith. But as big as a Second Amendment amendment person as I am, I think we need to look at the uh, mental health issues. I think there could be a better look-see when applying to purchase a gun. I think, uh, depending on the state, they might check local state 
jail records and this, and there's supposed to be a national database. I don't know if that's always fully checked. But and, yeah, and, like and you know what also, John? The thing is, too, but you're talking about, when you're talking about that, then that means uh, criminal behavior. And a lot of times, you know, mental issues don't get posted. Um, and often maybe it's a secret in the family or they were seeing a doctor, like in the Tennessee case, uh, the girl was getting some psychological counseling, but it wasn't like police were alerted in the Nashville case. So uh, maybe maybe if somebody's, you know, under 25 or under a certain age, maybe you say, and in that case, I think it was she was 28, so that might not have helped in this case. But in certain cases, maybe at a certain age, you say, maybe we need to touch a family. Maybe we need to do a little bit of a background check on the person. Maybe there needs to be a couple extra calls or something out there because she was able to legally purchase it, I'm talking about, in that case. And this guy, based on his age... Uh, it's saying in some places that he's 23 and some places is 25. Either way, he's old enough to have, be able to buy it legally. And apparently there was nothing in his criminal history. Uh, but there's got to be some extra checks. I 1000 percent agree because you hit it on the head. A lot of people, you know, I have a lot of friends who grew up in Texas and Oklahoma and places like that. And guns were a part of life. And, and yet there weren't really the problems that we're seeing now. And I agree. I think a lot of it is the the family breakdown. Uh, the pressures, I think social media, I think there's a lot of stuff going on that is creating this climate right now where people are feeling this is the way to do something. And it clearly is not. And but when you go back in the history, a lot of times you can see uh, some of the warning signs and we may ner- you know, learn a lot more in this one uh, in the days and weeks to come. We're going to continue your calls, everybody. John from Texas. Thank you very much for the call. 1-800-848-9222. And I'll continue your calls, everybody, when we come back. The Rita Cosby Show. And coming up, everybody, also in the next hour, we're going to talk about how the House GOP, the Republican-led Judiciary Committee with Jim Jordan, is going to do a hearing next week in New York City on violent crime in the Big Apple. And Alvin Bragg, who is the district attorney who should be going after felons and instead is going after President Trump, who he has now charged with 34 felonies. But yet those who are committing crimes out on the streets seem to get a slap on the wrist and there is a revolving door of crime in New York. Boy, is that going to be interesting. We're going to talk about that and what you think the objective is. And already Bragg is firing back, basically saying this is intimidation. This is outrageous and says he doesn't have to answer to anybody. So we're going to talk about that. Plus also China saying that they are, quote, ready to fight after doing drills around the island of Taiwan that they say belongs to them. So things are getting really, really heated. And Biden, well, what is he doing today? He was at the White House with Hunter, and he was at the Easter egg roll. So things are just completely out of whack. And what a scary time to have President Biden as president, given all of these dynamics that are happening in the world right now. What are your thoughts also about this shooting in Louisville? We talked about this officer who was fighting for his life tonight By the way, an organization called the Wounded Blue says in just two years, more than 120,000 law enforcement officers have been wounded in the line of duty in various levels. Of course, this officer tonight, very seriously injured. 
and we are praying that he will survive and make a safe recovery. But it just shows how tough it is to be a police officer these days. Let's go to Joe, line one. Joe, your thoughts about all this. Rita, I love, as usual, I'm going to get rapid fire, and then, of course, you respond. First of all, that wonderful song when we were in the early 60s, where have all the flowers gone? When will they ever learn that when people vote for liberal Democrats, they're voting against their own lives? And by the way, the idiots in Chicago put an idiot mayor now, moron mayor, who's um, famous, infamous, notorious for defunding the police. Also, a holiday for debauchery injustice today, and that was the poor guy, brother American veteran, a one-time cop, a cab driver, in a riot of 2020 in the states and cities, the liberal Democrats let them riot, and he was driving his cab, and they surrounded the cab, they were trying to turn it over, a creep with an AK-47 was raising it to shoot him, he shot in self-defense, and he was convicted today of murder in Austin, Texas, of all places. By the Hopefully way, by the way, Joe, I know the case you're talking about. You're talking about Sergeant Perry, and that was on Friday. I think he was convicted by the jury. They believe it was a soft-on-crime DA who was pushing that. Um, and we just heard a couple hours ago that, by the way, Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, says that he is going to try to push the pardon board to pardon that guy, because and I and that is a I'm going to talk about that case tomorrow night, Joe, because that case is a wild case. And I agree. Apparently, the, the guy was waving, uh, you know, a, a long arm, a long gun right at him. A machine gun. Yes. I mean, a and then apparently gun. somebody shot at him afterwards, too. I mean, it's it's and Texas has a stand your ground law that you have a right to self-defense. Um, So that is a really powerful case. But I'm glad that you brought it up because it is so disturbing that he is behind bars. The good news is it sounds like Governor Abbott is going to intervene in that one. Um, But this case in Louisville, it is so heartbreaking. Just as you said, there are so many layers to this, Joe. And, of course, our thoughts and prayers are with these different officers tonight. We're going to continue your calls on this talk about Bragg. Joe, we love you. Thank you very, very much for always remembering our great veterans. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is the Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. record on crime will be on the hot seat next week in New York. You know how the Republicans decided to do a hearing at the border. They said, well, you know what? Uh, We'll just bring the problem and we'll spotlight it. We'll go to the border. We'll ask Democrats to come. Of course, the Democrats didn't come. Remember, they backed out last minute on the border hearing. And the person was Raul Ortiz. He's the head of Customs and Border Protection. He's the one who, like, said, yeah, um, the border isn't secure, and the Democrats weren't there that day. What a coincidence, right, when the Biden head of Customs and Border Protection basically revealed all, something we already knew, and obviously in stark contrast to what Mayorkas is saying. But the Republicans have had a history of sort of taking the issue head-on and going to the scene of the crime, if you will, just like the border. And now the next scene is going to be New York City. And they are planning on doing a field hearing next week 
It is called Victims of Violent Crime in Manhattan. It is scheduled for Monday morning at the Javits Federal Building in Manhattan. And the committee hasn't announced the witnesses yet, but said that they will, quote, examine how Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's pro-crime anti-victim policies have led to an increase in violent crime in a dangerous community for New York City residents. I can't wait for this one. I can't. I'm going to get like extra popcorn for this one because this is going to be good. And I can't wait to see Alvin Bragg say, oh, yeah, I've done so much to protect crime. And then they say, you know, uh, yeah, you mean to protect criminals, you mean, you know, not the victims. And if you look at some of the statistics, it's 52 percent of the felonies in Bragg's office have been reduced to misdemeanors. It is a much higher ratio than his predecessor did. And, of course, it seems like the only person he wants to go after is President Trump. You know, remember, all the basically repeat offenders, most of them get a free pass by this soft-on-crime DA, Soros-backed soft-on-crime DA, right? So he gets a free pass, you know, every single time someone goes before him, ah, well, let's just let him back out. Don't worry about it. Let's just let that person, oh, let's let him a ninth time, tenth time, no big deal. But President Trump, uh uh-uh. If the name wasn't Trump, he wouldn't even go after this, you know, Trump for a misdemeanor. There's no question. It is a bank, basically, uh, incorrect accounting charge. And then he's lumping it with another charge that he's still yet to say to make it into a felony. But who could forget, here was Alvin Bragg. Uh, not that long ago, making his big proclamation so he can say, I fulfilled my campaign promise and went after Trump. Forget about the bad guys that are destroying New York. Forget about the people that are mugging and doing all the other stuff. No problem with them. But let's go after President Trump. Here he is when he announced the indictment last week. Take a listen. Earlier this afternoon, Donald Trump was arraigned on a New York Supreme Court indictment returned by a Manhattan grand jury on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. Under New York state law, it is a felony to falsify business records with intent to defraud and an intent to conceal another crime. That is exactly what this case is about. And President Trump, of course, says this is all made up. I am just fighting to protect the country and they're coming after me. Here's what Trump said, remember, right after that. And I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. And even Bill Barr, the former attorney general under President Trump, who's not necessarily a Trump fan, uh, he even said that he doesn't think the indictment has any merit. He thinks it is transparently an abuse of prosecutorial power to accomplish a political end. And that is, of course, coming from Bill Barr, uh, who is no Trump fan, but says that this is, again, prosecutorial uh, done power done to accomplish a political end, prosecutorial abuse and a partisan hit job. Some pretty strong language coming from Bill Barr who, again, doesn't always like President Trump, but sees this as a political means to an end. And that's why it's going to be really interesting, because Alvin Bragg so far, every time the committee has said, oh, we would like to get some answers from you, we'd like to get details from you, 
No, I don't have to answer anything. You are interfering. This is intimidation. Then they put out, of course, a subpoena for the guy who wrote the book, who used to work with Bragg, Mark Pomerantz. And then Bragg came out and said, oh, you shouldn't be subpoenaing basically anybody who was ever in my office in the past or currently. Uh, This is an intimidation. So he clearly is not going to cooperate uh, and thinks that he is above the law and clearly thinks that President Trump is below the law. And that's not the way the system should work. 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. Let's go to Jay on line three. Uh, Jay, your thoughts about this new strategy uh, by Congress to go after Alvin Bragg? My mother's calling. Oops, hey, Jay, where are you? We lost you. Jay, call us back. Uh Uh-oh, we just lost Jay, but let's go to Ben on line two. Ben, go ahead. Yeah, Rita, thank you for taking my call. Thank also your call screener for um, taking my call. Um, Let's see, you want me to get straight to the point. Well, one day, well, thank you for telling us about Nicholas Wilt. And yeah, um, that story, um, when you're telling it, it touched my heart about heroic his heroics and um so thanks for saying that also um one day i was walking to work and uh i had a i made a sign i put thank you on it on a um eight and a half by 11. The police car passed me and they see my sign and the police they uh backed up and she t- i think it was a female she took a picture of me holding the sign thank you Oh, that's Um, great, Ben. I love that. And by the way, I wish more officers would hear that and see that. Don't was she surprised you did it or what? Yeah, yeah, because you know she backed up and you know maybe about three car lengths and then took the. uh, I'm not sure if she's surprised, but but with a smile on her face. But some observations to some other things you mentioned. You asked why all the why are we seeing so many shootings? My my thing is that. Number one, we took prayer out of schools. Number two, uh, no Ten Commandments. Number, and you know, Ten Commandments says thou shalt not kill. Yep. And so then also um, in most states, there's no death penalty. So a person say, hey, you know, I'll go to prison. And, but, you know, in most cases, some, some of the crazy people, they take their lives. So they'll go to prison and, you know, be in prison. They get three meals in a cot. And so... Uh, and then also, I say the devaluation of life, abortion, you know, oh, how about our, how about our beloved governor, what's his name, uh, former governor um, in New York, um, uh, Como. He was for partial birth abortion. So a baby can stick his head out. And then Ben, you're going, Ben, you're going on all these tangents, but but I but I appreciate no no no, 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 but but you're getting you're going from the value to this. I I hear I understand what you're saying. I and I hear where you're going. And I do think you're right. There has been sort of a devaluation of life, of values, of the family unit, um, uh, bringing back faith into school, good parenting. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot of these things. So so I hear you and I appreciate your call. Um, and, and I think you had some great points. Thank you so much, Ben. Let's go to Sean. Line one. Sean, your thoughts about all this. Rita, the fact of the matter is liberals, once again, liberals. Remember the word, America, listen up, because this goes back decades. Okay. The criminal justice system, like, for instance, prison and your previous caller, I know the point he was going to make. 
It's not a hotel. It's not for you to get a master's degree. It's not for you to get your high school diploma. And we've got away from punishment. And that's why. And it's nothing to do with the Ten Commandments. It's because people are fickle. If I could cross the street and jaywalk and no one's going to catch me, I'm going to jaywalk. And it's the same thing with every other crime, whether you steal a shoe or whether you want to go kill 50 people. It's the same thing. Jail should be punishment. The liberals have hijacked it, turned it into a country club, and you're going to have more shootings. And it's never going to stop until you start punishing people. People are very fickle. And listen, I'm no angel, but you got to use your head to wait a minute. What happened in the last, let's do, let's do 20 years. They got more liberal, more and more. And look at Arizona. That's the only state in the country that had it right. You get locked up in Arizona, they put you in a work camp and they serve you baloney. That's right. That's what they need to do. The politicians that are listening to this show, you need to wake up because you're going to keep having shootings, more shootings, and they're going to keep happening. You got to punish people when they break the rules. Well, and Sean, you know, Sean, hang on. Uh, you got you got a lot of passion there. First off, um, and your Arizona, it was uh, Joe Arpaio who I've had here on the show. Uh, used to put the inmates, remember, in like pink underwear, and then he got accused by like the ACLU for over, you know, insulting the the inmates. But you're right, he was pretty tough on them. And I I do think there is something to what you said clearly, Sean, and also what Ben said, that you're right. Prisoner, you know, criminals have to know that there will be punishment. And you're right. If they know that they can, you know, fake the system, uh, that they can, you know, keep having part of this revolving door, the woe is me attitude, no sense of responsibility, no fear of punishment. You're right. It's a revolving door. And it's a dangerous place. So so how do we turn this around, Sean? I mean, you know what's amazing to me, Sean, in this climate, and, and I bring up Chicago because it's such a classic uh, point. Chicago was crumbling under Lori Lightfoot. Crime was skyrocketing there. And they had a chance to go with somebody who was pro-police. And then they had a chance to go with this guy who at one point talked about defunding the police and is still talking about social workers. And that's the one they went with. I, I mean... You know, you, you kind of say, God, how many more elections, you know, do we have to wait till the next election? Uh, and here the election comes. What is wrong with the people of Chicago, Sean? How could they pick this other person? Wow. Because they've been lied to because attorneys like the NCLU and the Legal Aid Society, they come. Listen, listen how, let me break it down for you. You go to Columbia Law or Pennsylvania, you go to Pennsylvania University, and you're a lawyer for the ACLU or the Legal Aid Society. You're not in reality. They grew up in the suburbs. They know nothing about city life. They come back, and they're going to save everybody by letting criminals out. Oh, oh, all this. It's all lies. It's all lies. And for you brought up Chicago. Chicago has been sinking for 50 years. You got Chicago, you got Philadelphia. Look at Philadelphia's worse. It's so bad in Philadelphia, they don't even let the news cameras go in there because they'll, the, they'll tear the news camera truck into pieces. It's not just, it's, Philadelphia is a, a microscope of what's America going to look like. If you keep letting the liberals, and they hate it, liberals hate it. And I try to have open discussion with liberals. I say, listen, your 
your fantasy world that you're going to help people, everybody. No one deserves to be in jail, and no one deserves oh, excuses. It's excuse after excuse after excuse, and it's throughout the country. Yeah, it is. It is. By the way, Sean, you're right. We are seeing a pattern in so many places, and that's why people got to get out and vote. They got to say what is going to keep their community safe uh, and not look at just look at the policies, not just really examine things. And I think, by the way, uh, the DAs, you know, you never really used to look so much at the DA's races. My goodness. Now, I think the next time you go into the voting booth, Get the background of that DA. Are they soft on crime, like an Alvin Bragg or like a Larry Krasner in Philly, as Sean was just describing? San Francisco, thank goodness they gave the guy the boot. Chesa Boudin got the boot, thank God. You still got Gascon, who's softer than soft in L.A. But know the policies of them and take responsibility and tell your friends also to get out and vote. And vote for the ones who care more about keeping your community safe. This is not a Republican or Democratic issue. It is an American issue, and good people got to get the word out and only get people in there who care about the community, care about safety. And Chicago, boy, if that's not a warning sign, I don't know what is. Sean, I hear your passion. I love your passion, and I love your uh, dedication to community and keeping everybody safe. Thank you so much. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. And you are listening to The Rita Cosby Show. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And we are talking about Alvin Bragg on the hot seat next week. As the GOP committee is planning on taking it to the New York DA and doing a hearing in New York City, just like they did a hearing on the border to show the problems there, where they're going to come to New York because Alvin Bragg won't go to Washington. So they're going to come to New York instead and do a hearing examining crime in New York and Alvin Bragg specifically pro-crime anti-victim policies that have led to, quote, violent crime and a dangerous community for New York City residents. And uh, I think Sean agrees that is the case. I think many of us agree. And Alvin Bragg just thinks, eh, no big deal. This is just a political stunt. As if going after President Trump wasn't a political stunt by Alvin Bragg. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mike in South Carolina. Mike, I understand you also want to talk about uh, Kamala Harris and her emergency visit, right, to uh, Nashville. Exactly right, Rita. And you know what? I, I like the passion of that guy before. He hit the nail on the head, you know. Uh, what's going on with our country? Uh, it's killing deals in Chicago and Philadelphia, all the major cities in the far left. And, yes, the VP, isn't she, isn't she special? You know, she makes a visit. To the uh, 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 the two guys happened to be black. Uh, they were booted from the legislature. You can't make a visit, Vice President, to the parents of the children that were slaughtered in the schoolhouse. And you can't make a visit to Ohio with that toxic trade derailment. And Biden, what are you doing? You're hiding? Huh? What are you doing? And you want to invite them to the White House? 
right? A special ceremony for these two uh, uh, legislators. Yes, yeah, by the way, she calls them the Tennessee Three. Um, it's the it's the two. But you're right. It's like suddenly she doesn't quote an emergency meeting, and I thought, oh, maybe she's going down to meet the victims. And she apparently didn't even meet the victims of the shooting. Can you imagine going all the way down right after one of the most horrible shootings in a school? She doesn't go down and meet with the victims, but she goes and meet with these two local legislators who are on the bullhorn on the floor, kind of violating the rules. They did reinstate one of them, um, and they're going to probably reinstate another one. And now they're out there, like, shouting and screaming left and right. But that's an emergency meeting for our vice president who can't seem to get on a plane and go to the border. Mike, it's so insulting. It's so insulting to go to the border. And you know what? I- I'll leave you with this, Rudy. You got other people. Always a great show. Um, you know, you, you got, uh, I- I'll make it uh, a comparison, like a-, a horse trainer. You know, some horses want blinders. They want blinders on the horses to cut down into peripheral vision. That's what Brad needs. He's, he's got blinders on. You know, your priority, Brad, is to put criminals in jail and to keep them there, not to downsize from a felony to a misdemeanor. And you have, you know, you went after Donald Trump. You should be disbarred. And I can't wait for next week either, Rita. And a shout out to you again for, uh, uh, you know, for the police, you know, uh, segments and the veterans. Thank you. Know, you. We got almost 15 million uh, illegals and some of our veterans are homeless outrageous in every way, shape, and form in our once former great country. Yeah, sad. And uh, listen, we got to make sure uh, it continues to be great and continues to be a beacon for the world. It is so important. And I think I think it's going to be so fascinating, Mike. I can't wait to see what happens next week if Jim Jordan does indeed come, and I'm sure they will, uh, and have this hearing and put Bragg on the hot seat. Call in witnesses that'll be interesting to see who do they call in um some of these people who feel that his policies allowed criminals to be back out on the streets that'll be a long line of witnesses because sadly the situation is so crazy in new york and all he has is trumpitis we're going to continue with your calls everybody after the break 1-800-848-9222 this is the rita cosby show on the red apple podcast network Support our heroes. And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, a powerful story coming from Farmington, Connecticut, where family and friends of a very special centenarian gathered at a local senior living facility recently to honor a heroic woman for her exploits during World War II. Lee Pappas, who's 102 years old, was recently presented with a special quilt of valor in recognition and appreciation of her military service with the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps during World War II. Now, she was given a red, white, and blue Americana-themed quilt, which was crafted for Pappas by a group of volunteer quilters and friends at Middlewoods of Farmington, which undertook the project with Lee Pappas in mind. Pappas joined the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps during the early 1940s, serving as a laboratory technician with the Chemical Warfare Service Department at Camp Dietrich, Maryland, and in 1946 was presented with the Army Commendation Ribbon for her courage, performance, 
and devotion to duty in this role. Pappas said, words are impossible to express my feelings at this time. I thank all of you for making this possible. I will cherish this for many years. And what a beautiful way to honor an extraordinary life, a life of service. And again, Lee Pappas sounds sharp as a tack at 102 and part of the greatest generation. Well, we are talking about crime on the streets of New York and everywhere else. Uh, Crime is skyrocketing, problems at the border. There are so many issues out there. And you would think it would be like, well, maybe this isn't working, President Biden. But no, just a few hours ago, he was asked on the Today Show by Al Roker, what are your plans? Are you planning to run again? And guess what he said? Uh, Yeah, I am planning to run. I'm not making it official yet, but I am planning. Listen to this exchange that President Biden said uh, during the Easter egg roll at the White House, no doubt. By the way, Hunter was at the Easter egg roll with him. Uh, maybe he was trying to sell some paintings there. Who knows? With the Easter Bunny, who knows what was going on? Remember the whole thing with the Easter Bunny last time? The Easter Bunny was like leading him away. I mean, it was like such a pathetic demonstration of the president following the Easter Bunny. You know? Oh my God! I don't know what's worse, Easter Bunny or Hunter. But today, Al Roker asked him this question, and listen to this answer from President Biden. I was just wondering, uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, will you be uh, taking part in the Easter egg rolls uh, after planning on after 2024? Well, I plan on <laughs> at least three or four more Easter egg rolls. At least three or four more? Maybe, maybe, maybe five. Maybe five. <laughs> maybe maybe so, six. So what the hell? Are you, are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll either be so rolling an egg or you know, being the, the, good, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. Come on. Help a, bro- help a brother out. Make no, some news no, for no. me. I I plan on running now, but we're not prepared to announce it yet. Rolling the egg or pushing it out. I mean, that's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. And then he said, I'm planning on running, but I'm not going to announce it yet. So what is he waiting for, everybody? Maybe the fact that only one third of Democrats want him to run again. That's according to new polls. Two thirds of Americans say he lacks the strength and stamina to be president. Uh, that he's still, you know, you can just see it. He's just, he is like dwindling quickly before our eyes. And here is Kellyanne Conway's take on why she thinks President Biden has not been a success. According to CNN's poll of all places, two-thirds of Americans say that Joe Biden lacks the stamina and the strength to be an effective president. 65% say that he doesn't have a vision for the future. And he's not the unifier and the straight talker, the truth teller that he promised he would be. Um, He's been anything but that. But when the vast majority of Americans, including if not especially independents who who will choose the next president of the United States, have no confidence in your competence, it's troubling. And now there are a lot of other things going on, not just domestically, but overseas. We have China definitely saber rattling. Over the weekend, they were doing their drills around the island of Taiwan, Of course, China claims that the self-governed island is its own. China says it belongs to them. And the U.S. has said that they would protect Taiwan. China declaring it is ready to fight after the drills and smash any form of Taiwan independence. Definitely ratcheting up the rhetoric. And then we've got Emmanuel Macron, uh, as we were talking about, you know, we talked about Normandy on the show and World War II and everything. Well, uh, thank you, we oui, we oui, Macron, because he basically said 
that Europe shouldn't have to follow America in terms of Taiwan. In other words, good luck, America, with Taiwan. Uh, he spent three days in China and was kick, uh, kissing a little, uh, coddling and hugging definitely the Chinese president and left there saying, China is such a great country. And basically, U.S., if you want to protect Taiwan, you do it. But I don't encourage Europe to do it, and we're basically not doing it either. It's like the whole world is sort of falling apart, and the role of U.S. at the leadership helm is falling apart. I mean, before our eyes, you see all these issues that are going on uh, with China leading the charge, you know, this alliance with China and Iran and Saudi Arabia, and now France is basically saying too bad. They just do not respect this president. And take a listen. This is what Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, had to say about Biden and what he is doing on the foreign policy front that's really concerning. I don't view foreign policy as an opening. I view it as central to the way of the way that we all live here and how our kids and grandkids are going to live. I try to keep politics out of it when it comes to the things that matter to our security here in America. Uh, We'll have plenty of time to have that debate. Today is the moment to make sure that America gets this right. And the Biden administration has simply failed us all. And Mike Pompeo also points to Ukraine. Remember when President Biden said, hey, minor incursion. And then suddenly Vladimir Putin got the green light. And boy, did he go into Ukraine. And Pompeo says he is really concerned now with China ratcheting up all these comments and this rhetoric and doing the drills. Apparently, some of the bombers, by the way, uh, were nuclear strike capable. That's pretty scary. And some of the ships also with nuclear strike capabilities. I mean, that is a really scary premise when you're talking about China that has a huge, massive military army. I mean, that is a a Navy. Every single level of military is so strong in China. And now France basically saying, hey, well, if U.S. is going to protect Taiwan, uh, they may end up pretty close to going it alone. And Pompeo said that is really concerning because we have a very weak president domestically and internationally, and that could bode big-time problems for Taiwan. Take a listen. The task for the United States is to protect the things that matter to Americans. And make no mistake about it, uh, the the business and industry that sit on the island of Taiwan, which should be recognized as a sovereign nation, uh, is essential to American commerce. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to provide Taiwan with the tools it needs. Contrast that with what the Biden administration has done in Ukraine, where they've allowed this war to linger on. We should demand that the Chinese Communist Party stop this silliness. It wasn't Kevin McCarthy's meeting that caused them to do this. This is just a meeting between two people. Uh, this was an excuse to continue to constrict Taiwan's ability to operate as the independent entity that it has operated at for the last decades. Yeah, and guess what? This president is doing nothing to send a message to China, don't go in there, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, He won't even pick up the phone and talk to President Xi. He won't even talk to him about COVID. He hasn't talked to him about fentanyl. Why would we think that he would do anything on this front? Same thing with Putin. He didn't do anything last time. He said, well, if there's a minor incursion, you know, I mean, this is a really serious, serious issue. And there are people like Senator Lindsey Graham who've said, well, maybe we need some U.S. boots on the ground. Uh, In Taiwan. I mean, that is what he said over the weekend. Maybe we need some U.S. boots, potentially, maybe U.S. troops there, even for training, just to send a message. Uh, This is really scary stuff. And we have a president who is definitely losing control domestically 
and internationally. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to BJ, line two. BJ, your thoughts about all of this, because there are so many issues going on right now. And then we've got a president who doesn't seem to be getting a handle on any of them right now. No, um, American exceptionalism is a funny thing. Uh, All countries follow uh, the example that we set. And if we're weak, they'll be weak. If we have integrity and lead from a place of integrity and of strength, they will uh, follow. most of Europe, uh, I mean, Trump, uh, Trump laid the law down. They were, they were years behind in their NATO dues, uh, and they expected us to uh, pay for uh, their uh, protection. Uh, they were supposed to give 1%, 2% of their G, uh, GDP. They never did. And some of these countries are hundreds of millions of dollars uh, behind in their dues. It doesn't surprise me that Macron would uh, uh, publicly humiliate the United States in the way in which he did, uh, because he's one of these weak European nations. They don't have the – they are not like us. We are the shiny city on the hill, God-blessed and windswept. But uh, we need to lead proactively, and it kind of brings – it it trickles down to all areas. You were talking earlier about this uh, horrible situation in Kentucky where the uh, guy went in, ex-employee, shot up the bank – uh, we had a situation not that horrible, very sad. Again, it's just too 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 much to fathom. Uh, uh, we had a woman who was cashing a check in Glendale, Queens the other day, and the thug came up and, and went for her throat. You know, control matters. Who who has the power and who who uh, carries out uh, the laws to protect the citizenry matters. When you have chaos ruling like this. You have nothing but uh, lawlessness, and other countries look around the world and they say, well, you know, they're not better than us. Look at what they did to Donald Trump last week. They dragged him in like a common criminal uh, for a, uh, a rigged charge. And and by the uh, way, what do you think, BJ, of the fact that Alvin Bragg is planning to come to, uh, not Alvin Bragg, but Jim Jordan, to put Alvin Bragg on the hot seat next week with these hearings uh, with the House Judiciary Committee, saying he's going to look at how Alvin Bragg's pro-crime anti-police policies have contributed basically to an increase in violent crime in New York. That's going to be interesting to see. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a great idea. I do too. I, I, I admire Jim Jordan a lot. I think he's, uh, the, you have to bear in mind, Congress can only do so much. The most they can do is make a referral to the Department of Justice if they see criminality. Uh, but and guess who's there? Of, Merrick Garland, BJ. That's the it, problem. Exactly. So, you know, I don't have high expectations in that regard, but I do think it should be highlighted. It's not a good look for the governor, the mayor or the the district attorney to have a congressman from Washington come in with a a whole entourage uh, to highlight how bad you run your city. I mean, I don't think that's ever been done. And at least not while I've been alive. I've been around for for a while. Yeah, I was going to say I, I agree. Like I think it, I think it's a first. Uh, and boy, will it be worth watching? BJ, thank you. Really great to get your perspective. Let's go to Jacqueline, line three. Jacqueline, your thoughts about all this? Hi, Rita. Um, you know, I I wish that uh, you would be able to interview uh, Representative Jordan next week if he has a few minutes. 
I know I'd love to talk to him, but that'll never by, happen. By the way, I love Jim Jordan. And, and um, you know, I also host, which I'm lucky to host, Cats and Cosby at 5 o'clock on WABC. And we did have Jim Jordan, actually. Uh, we had him on, I think, about two or three weeks ago. But we should try to get him again soon. We've been thinking about that because... Boy, uh, he is so interesting, and he's got some guts there, I think, Jacqueline. Yes, and I heard that interview when you had him on, so he's he's really great, and I like to hear what he has to say. Um, I I understand what BJ just said, but I I would implore uh, Representative Jordan and the rest of Congress to really dig very deep into the law to see if there is anything that they can do. Since Merrick Garland is not doing his job and Kathy Hochul is not doing her job, and right down the line down to uh, Alvin Bragg, who's not doing his job, there must be something in the law where if they are not doing what they're supposed to, that Congress can step in and do something to eliminate the three of them. And then, as I've said repeatedly over and over again, they need to be held accountable. They need to be put in jail for the uh, for their not doing their job, for the crimes against the citizens of the United States, and for stealing our tax dollars and squandering hundreds of billions of dollars on nonsense. Yeah, there's got to be something. And by the way, uh, there is some federal funds. Apparently, Jordan uh, received a letter from Bragg saying, yeah, we are spending some federal funds. Uh, but so there could be some purse strings issues that they could get into. And there has to be something, just like you said, there's got to be some creative way uh, that there may be some sort of oversight um, and something more than just a show and knowing that it's not going to go anywhere when it goes to Merrick Garland. Uh, you know, and who knows, by the way, I mean, you know, who knows where all of this stuff goes right now? There are so many issues going on. You know, uh, Bill O'Reilly, who I love um, and whose show comes before me on WABC, Bill O'Reilly, we were talking with him a couple hours ago, and Bill still is not convinced that Biden's going to run again. He thinks he's delaying and delaying and delaying, um, and that ultimately he's just going to sort of read the tea leaves and not run again. Biden seems convinced, if you saw him today on the Today Show, even though he was talking about which direction the egg was going to come out of, um, he still seems kind of intent that he's going to run uh, but who knows where some of this goes um, and who knows, especially uh, as things progress, certainly, by the way, if the White House changes hands eventually, which obviously uh, that is not going to happen for at least a little while. Uh, but if it does happen in the next go round in 24, you know, the next race that it goes into GOP hands, then it will be a GOP uh, attorney general. So maybe even to get the process started would be worthwhile, even if at the end of the day you have to wait until there's a Republican in that position. But there's there's got to be something else there, Jacqueline, too. It's certainly worth looking into, and I'm sure if there is something, Jim Jordan will find it. And if I talk with him this week, I will definitely ask him that question because that is a great, great question. We're going to continue with your calls, everybody, after the break, talking about the mess that is Joe Biden domestically and also now on the foreign policy front as we've been talking. And also, what do you make? Why are we seeing increased crime? Obviously, in addition to these soft on crime DAs like Alvin Bragg, there certainly will be a lot of explaining to do. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens when Jim Jordan takes the House Judiciary Committee for a hearing in New York to spotlight Alvin Bragg going soft on felons. But 
creating a charge if you're Trump. Boy, that sounds fair. 1-800-848-9222. The Rita Cosby Show. And we continue your calls here on The Rita Cosby Show. 1-800-848-9222. By the way, tomorrow night, President Trump is going to be doing an interview with Tucker Carlson. Can't wait to see that one. And you know we'll be talking about that tomorrow night. It will basically be his first interview since, of course, the indictment. Remember, he made the big speech at Mar-a-Lago, but it'll be interesting to see what he says on that. And you know we'll be taking calls on that tomorrow night. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Pete, line six. Uh, Pete, your thoughts. Yeah, hi, Rita. Thanks for taking my call. I've been hanging in on your show around for about an hour and a half. Anyways, thanks for thank taking you. It. By the way, Pete, thank you so much. I was like, I got to get to Pete, a great veteran. So you go ahead, my friend. You're more than welcome. Uh, first off, uh, it was really amazing when I came home from work on the early side today, and I uh, got to watch uh, Biden with the Easter egg roll, the capital roll, and it's amazing. First, there was one bunny. Now he has two bunnies and Dr. Jill presiding over him, looking over his shoulder. Anyways, the funny part of it is he doesn't know anything about the capital Easter egg roll, and he damn sure, but, and he doesn't know that from a Chinese egg roll. Anyways, if you want to look <laughs> at the problem, Rita, and what's wrong with America, start at the leadership, and we work, work right down to the uh, press secretary. What a mess. The other thing is you want to talk about crime, it's very simple. These people are not socialists. They're communists, number one. And the other thing, Rita, also is, uh, the same people like the squad, so-called squad, were complaining and raising hell and jumping up and down and yelling for defunding the police, the blue line. But now all of a sudden, because the crime is so bad where they reside in uh, in the foggy bottom, the Beltway, Washington, D.C., now they want more police protection. Corey Bush and the rest of them want to be paid, be paid free of charge uh, uh, for extra protection. Does that tell you something, Rita, about the crime in this country? Well, it says, by the way, it clearly says it's bad, and it clearly says hypocrisy all over the place. And I'm so glad you're spotlighting it, Pete. You are awesome, my friend. Always great to talk with you. And real quick, let's go to Paul. Line one, Paul, really quick, your your thoughts. Evening, Rita. First, I was going to call about the shooter in Tennessee, but I'm um, sorry, Kentucky, but I'll go with this one. As for Taiwan, we will not be going it alone. you got Japan, South Korea, Vietnam, Philippines, and Australia all have a vested interest. India would be the key as to what they would do. But as for France, Ukraine is more of a threat. They should put Macron on the spot and say, you need to be there for Taiwan. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, France, suddenly, you know what? We need you in Ukraine, but too bad about China? That's not fair. The Rita Cosby Show on the Red Apple Podcast Network.